0: I'd like to read actually the first chapter of 1 Peter because um, we're going to look at one verse <laughs> and and yet it's everything that Peter says uh, and all the scripture says really. Um, so I'm going to read 1 Peter chapter 1. This is God's word. <clears throat> Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ. Excuse me. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood In praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children... knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown for the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all is glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. You know, uh, young people, I like, even when you're very young, to tell you a story. To help you understand something about what the sermon's going to be about and my dad went to college and he graduated in the same year that I was born which was a very long time ago and for his graduation he got a watch and he wore that watch a lot and he gave that watch to me so I loved that watch and I loved it so much I wore it and it stopped ticking. So I could look at it and it always had the same time on it. <laughs> it never changed. So it wasn't as a watch. Because watches are supposed to tell time. Now, you probably have your mommy and daddy read the Bible to you. And when you come to church, you have the Bible uh, read to you too. And the question is Is your hearing of the Bible like my father's watch? Because my watch, my dad, my dad's watch stopped and didn't do any good. He couldn't tell time. So do you hear the Bible and not do anything with it? So do you not believe the Bible? you not listen to what the Bible says and do the things the Bible says? And that's what we're going to talk about. God wants us to believe and to obey him. And he gives us his power every day to make us do that when we believe in Jesus. So we're going to pray that God can help us all believe what God says, okay? Let's pray. God in heaven, we pray that right now you might kindly help us listen to your word and think about your word. We pray that my words and our minds and hearts might be focused upon your truth to believe your truth and then for your truth to affect our lives. Please, Lord God, you know That many times we know a whole lot more than we act upon. So help us to actually believe and obey. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, sometimes you have something that you take one of and you really want a second piece. It's a German chocolate cake. And you get a big slice of that. And it's so good that you're tempted to take a second piece. But you don't. Because you know if you took a second piece you'd get too sick from eating two pieces. Well, there are passages in Scripture that you just have to focus on. You have to think about. It. You have to eat slowly. Just like you slowly enjoy that piece of German chocolate cake. You just slowly eat it and savor every mouthful. And that's what we're going to do today because we're going to look at one verse and that's verse 13. 1 Peter 1, 13 Therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober minded set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you At the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, we've just had 12 verses in the first part of uh, 1 Peter that have set the stage for this. And uh, you should have in verse 13 the very first word being therefore or wherefore. And if you have studied the Bible at all, if you know anything about how the Bible works, you know that anytime you see a therefore or wherefore, it's telling you to look back and see what's already been said and understand that because of what's been said, now this is what you do or this is what you believe. So what has peter been saying in verses 1 to 12 called them elect exiles and he's described them as elect exiles called by god's power the triune god father son and holy spirit actually mentioned all there in that opening and then he tells them in verses one to uh, three to five about what god has done uh, caused you to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Uh, And it's to an inheritance that imperishable undefiled and reserved in heaven for you. So he's just uh, set out the great hope that you have uh, kept by God's power. And you're kept by God's power in the midst of suffering because he mentions suffering uh, in the next verses, six and following, you've been, been grieved by various afflictions, uh, various trials, and those trials don't have any other purpose than to reveal the genuineness of your faith, how your faith is actually what God's working in your life. That faith is the genuine thing, it's the real thing that God's planted in you because. You're enduring the trial. And he compares it to gold that's tested. And so uh, he talks about that more in verses 8 and 9 about faith in Jesus Christ, whom you have not seen but love. Now, if they didn't in that day, 2,000 years ago, see Christ and yet love him, what about us today? 2,000 thousand years removed from when Jesus walked on earth do we love him that we have not seen him well that's that's quite a challenge for us but we have the prophetic word made more certain you might say because uh, we have the prophets who had looked ahead to the coming of Christ and then Christ is revealed in his suffering and glory uh, and they were serving us they were telling us good news about the coming of Christ Isaiah 51 uh, and so forth and so forth so that brings us to the turning point the, the hinge in this chapter and the hinge is verse 13 That's why we're going to look at verse 13 by itself because that hinge turns from all the, what you might say are the things God's done if I can use a technical term the indicatives the things that are true that God's done to the things that we do the imperatives the commands and so Verse 13 begins this section of living out what we know is true of us. Living out what God has done for us. So the therefore, the beginning of verse 13 is very important. So we're going to look at three things in verse 13. Action, attitude, and aim. Action, attitude, and aim. Whether I can live up to those nice little... Memory, things we don't know, but we'll see. So action, attitude, name. Look at it, action. First of all, now, this is the English Standard Version that I read you. And it says, therefore, preparing your minds for action. The old translation, King James, for instance, had girding up the loins of your mind. And we think, what in the world is that about? Well, that's a reference to something in the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, in chapter 12, uh, verse 11, the people of God are getting ready for the Exodus. They're getting ready for the Passover night. And they're told to gird up their loins. And that means they were to gather up the long flowing robes and tuck them into their belts so that they could walk. Walk. And they could walk quickly because they're going to have to leave Egypt quickly. They've got the army of Pharaoh that's about ready to chase them. And so they have to make haste. And remember that they're girding up their loins. They're gathering things together because they've got to leave quickly. The death of the firstborn of Egypt is about to happen. And so they're about ready to take action. And in fact, Jesus picks up on this same word, uh, getting ready for action, in Luke chapter 12, verse 35, where he says, you are dressed for action. Now, some of you, if you were in the military, you know you have a dress uniform and you've got a battle dress. The dress uniform has got pins and ribbons and braids and stuff on it, and you've got spit shine boots and such. But the battle dress is something that you're going to wear when you know you're going into the fight. And that's what he's saying. Getting your mind ready for action means you put off the dress uniform and you put on the battle dress. But you're looking for a battle. That's ahead of you. Now, when you wear your dress uniform, you're out on the parade field and you're marching in columns. But when you're in battle dress, you've got your eye on victory. You've got your eye on the conflict that's ahead of you. Now, Christians cannot think that we're not in A battle. Paul tells us very clearly in Ephesians chapter 6 that we are in a spiritual battle. If our Savior fought that spiritual battle in the wilderness, in the temptation of the wilderness, we will face it daily. We'll face it because we're being challenged. What do we believe? What do we hope in? Where is our attention focused? you know that one of the charges people make about Christians is that we are so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. We're so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. But actually, the trouble with American Christians is that we're so earthly minded, we're no heavenly good. We're so focused on this world and getting through this world or being comfortable in this world that we're really no earthly good so are we uselessly spiritual or are we spiritually useful do we have minds set on the end goal of where we're going of a heavenly perspective this is what he says therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober minded set your hope fully on the grace of that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we're looking forward to that and looking forward to the day when we'll be with him. So we need that heavenly perspective. Paul will write about this in Romans chapter 12. And he says, I appeal to you by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we're to have our minds focused above, and that's because we are seated above the words of Paul in Colossians 3 begin this way if then you have been raised up with Christ seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God set your mind on things that are above not on things that are on earth for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God that is a stunning thing your life is hidden with Christ in God you're here your life is here in one way but you are already raised up seated with Christ in the heavenly places and looking at this world from a different perspective and when you look at this world from a different perspective you do things differently you say, how do I die to sin and live to righteousness? How do I love my wife and serve her? How do I love my children and raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? How do I be not a man pleaser, but a God pleaser at my job so that people will praise the God I serve? How do I look at the money I have and say, It always belongs to God and I'm just giving to Him a portion of This world and the, the afflictions I get in this world and say they're from the good hand of a God who loves me even though I don't like the things that might happen to me. Peter has a participial phrase here preparing your minds and he wants us to see that this is the continual character of the Christian's thought. this is how we are to think. This is how we're to be reframed, you might say. Forgetting where we are and looking ahead. So we don't want to be double-minded like James talks about, going this way and that way, this way and that way, Thinking, I love this. Oh, no, I'm supposed to love God first. Never settling down. Instead, we want to gird our minds for action. So we need an attitude that's changed. So we have action, but now we have an attitude. How do we serve the Lord with our minds? Now, Peter says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being Sober minded. Now, this word sober minded uh, can refer simply to not getting drunk. Uh, But many times it's not used as somebody who is dealing with intoxicants, whether it's drugs or alcohol. It's used of somebody who has to think clearly. For instance, Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 5. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Now, Timothy had a huge job. He was there to follow up on what Paul started. Paul had begun, preached the gospel in Ephesus, and Timothy had to go into that city and continue to teach, continue to disciple the people. And that was a city where they had burned all the scrolls because they were given to witchcraft they were given to, to divination and all kinds of things. And they had the big rock that fell from heaven uh, that they praised in the name of Diana or Aphrodite. And so, Timothy always had to have his wits about him. He was going to be challenged all the time. How do I live? How do I live? How do I live? What do I do in this situation? He had to be sober-minded. I heard on the radio one of the ads, public service announcement, that came out a few years ago. Uh, and there was a young lady. She had gotten into an accident, and she said, well, I was only buzzed as though that excused her, she was only buzzed. And, you know, she said, I would had a few drinks, but I could drive, and yet when she was in the accident, now all, could she, all she could say is, I was just buzzed. When you're a Christian, you can't be buzzed. <laughs> you can't be double-minded. You can't have your mind on this world and on heaven at the same time. So Peter uses the word sober-minded in a participial phrase, another participle. First one is preparing, and this is being sober-minded or (laughs) sober-minding this world. You're not spiritually sober on Sunday, and then the rest of the week, well, you know how it is. So so how is it with you? Do you chafe under God's guidelines when it comes to your life, the things in your life? Do you kind of push the boundaries? Maybe push the envelope just a little bit? What do you like when you're alone? When you're when you hit your thumb with that hammer, what comes out of your mouth? Or what do you think? when nobody's around, are you yelling at the kids because your husband will never know? Are you angry in the car? Nobody's in the car with you? Does your anger just pour out sometimes? Do you find yourself looking a little bit too long at those ads that are pop-ups? You're looking at a news website and something pops up and you say, hmm, and you just look a little bit too long and you're even tempted to click on it. Sometimes those things come at us and they come at us so quickly yet are we so reminded do we remember what we're about when nobody knows when nobody's watching except God what's going on in your heart what's your heart like a world which has all kinds of reasons why we should throw off that that, uh, idea of being sober minded you deserve a break today have that second piece of cake come on the kids are just driving you crazy. Of course you're going to yell at them. Nobody's going to see you. You just click on it. It's time just to kick back. You've denied yourself all the time. Just, just this once. Just this once. It's a battle that we're in. Every believer is in it. I. So. How do we act? Are we being sober-minded? Are we living with an eye towards the heavenly prize? That's the last thing we want to look at, the aim. We've got an attitude of being prepared, of girding up our minds. We've taken that action. Now that attitude leads to thinking about our aim. So, Let's look at the rest of verse 13. If Peter had stopped there at being sober-minded, if his verse had ended there, it would have been legalism, moralism. Do this. Do this. And we know that a lot of people think about Christianity that way. Do this. Do this. Do this. But... Peter doesn't end there because moralism leads to hopelessness. We start to try and obey God with our own strength and we fail and we fail repeatedly. Excuse me. Peter has started the verse with therefore. So he wants us to think at this point of the context that he's given us in those first 12 verses. He's going to come back to it uh, beginning in verse 14 and he wants us to think right now about our hope. Where do we have our hope? Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope fully. Now, if I hope in myself, (laughs) what reason do I have to hope? I got nothing that I can show in myself of solid reason to have hope. So it's what God has done for me. If I look at myself, I have failure after failure. But if I think what God has already done First two verses, he has called me, he has made me an elect exile. The following verses, he has caused me to be born again, not by my will, but by his will. He has reserved an inheritance for me, it's in heaven, so it can't be touched, it can't fade or disappear. He has done all these things for me. So I have hope. But my hope is even greater than those things because it's seeing Jesus. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's being brought to me. The word Pharaoh here is the word to carry. And again, it's a participle. So, it is grace that's continually being brought to you. It's being brought to you by the Holy Spirit. God has done this, turning us from sin through the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. We're disqualified by our own lives our own words from inheriting anything. But God has done what could not be done by ourselves in bringing us life in Jesus Christ. So if you are in Christ, these promises are for you. If you have not believed in Christ or repented of your sin, these promises are not for you. These assurances are not grounded for you in the finished work of Christ. You'll be trying to please God on your own. Peter says, this is brought to you in grace. When we couldn't have strength, and we couldn't, since grace is a gift of God, we couldn't acquire it anyway. When God does this, it's an ongoing work in his life by his Holy Spirit again and again he's pouring out grace upon grace and it's related to the looking forward to the coming of Jesus Christ it's the revelation the apocalypse the revelation the pulling back the uncovering the showing what was hidden before of Jesus Christ That revelation has been preached by Peter and others to them. He has made the gospel several times. The gospel came to you. You saw Jesus presented in the gospel. That's what the gospel does. He presents Christ in his reality. Paul will use the word placard. Christ was placard. He was put up on a billboard before you, one of those billboards that are electronically, digitally controlled, and it's flashing the sign, Jesus Christ has come to die for his people. Because we're guilty by rights, it is only in Christ that our guilt can be removed. We have no hope apart from him. So the Christian's hope is at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Grace upon grace will reach its climax. So we have present grace, but we also have the grace that's coming. Because what greater grace can you imagine than to have that day come when God will say to you, well done thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. Will you be able to say, it's because of what I've done. God says that to me. God saw what a great job I did as a Christian. Therefore, he's telling me, well done. No, it's because you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ's righteousness is counted to you. And you are now said to be a good servant. Now, what hinders our spiritual progress? Well, all kinds of things. Fear, worry, jealousy, unforgiveness, laziness, and sometimes unbelief. Are we serious about living for Christ right now? Do we want our lives to reflect Jesus Christ, right now. What our hope is. For those familiar with the Narnian Chronicles, the last book is called The Last Battle, and in it a startling revelation happens. Susan Pavensi isn't there. And they ask, Where's Susan? Why isn't she here with Edmund Peter and Lucy? It's because she doesn't believe. She says all that childish stuff. I don't believe it. That's the temptation for us. To say all that childish stuff. I don't believe it. Paul faced it with Demas. Demas having loved this world. Left me. 2nd Peter. 2nd Timothy 4.10. To love this world is to turn away from the gospel promise, the gospel hope that Peter's talking about. We live in hope when we look forward to Christ, when we know that God's going to give us all the grace we need for every day. Sometimes you wake up and it is a tough day. You know it's going to be a tough day. And you're given the grace you need to get through that day. And sometimes it's barely making through that day, but you make it through and you have another day. In France, in World War I, there were soldiers who had spent four years in brutal trench warfare. They had to face rain and mud and rats and disease and continual bombardments. But then we just celebrated on the 11th hour, the 11th day in the 11th month came the armistice and the guns fell silent and the warfare is over. For all of us, there's gonna come a day like that. Who will it be like for you? Well done, thou good and faithful servant, because you're in Christ, or depart from me, I never knew you. We live in hope, we labor in hope, we follow Christ in hope, we suffer in hope, and for the Christian, we finally die in hope. May God give us all the Ability to be sober-minded, prepared for battle, and facing all that this world brings without loving it. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we pray that you might be with us, allow us to live in hope, serving you, even though we're some enemy and face the temptations of this world. Uh, Give us grace to turn away from these things and to turn only to you uh, for our comfort and strength. Thank you, Lord God, that you will sustain us to the end, for we believe in you and hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen.